0: This past week, we or weekend, we had a, a wonderful uh, marriage conference. It was a lot of fun. And the thing that I was excited about it was just how much Emily was able to learn uh, during that marriage conference. And so if y'all would, and you know, I'm, I think I'm going to just teach a class, guys. If y'all would like to know uh, just all the ins and outs of marriage, I might want to talk to me later. I, might just, I just think I'll be able to write a Bible study or something on what, what marriage is all about and how it can be really biblical, at least according to me. Uh, But anyway, uh, marriage is sort of it's a fun subject to talk about. Uh, You know, comedians make a ton of money talking about marriage. But I will be very honest with you. Marriage is a subject that is, at least for me, it is difficult to preach about. And I think the reason why is because there is the world's expectation of marriage. And then whenever you begin to look into the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about marriage, it kind of makes people a little bit nervous And I think typically the reason why is because there's one verse in particular that, uh, you know, when you talk about marriage and you look in the Bible, it really is a turnoff in our culture today, in particular for a lot of women. And uh, does anybody have a clue what verse I might be talking about? Uh, It's in Ephesians 5.22. I have a good friend here, uh, Pep Bumgarner. I think he has a tattoo on his arm that says Ephesians 5.22. But the verse says... It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, I know that right there, and there's an amen or two out in the crowd, and you're going you're gonna to get clubbed in the, at least after the service is over. But uh, the question is, what does that mean? And I think for, for many people, they look at Christianity and they say, well, you know, that verse is in there and that is a Neander. It makes Christians look like a bunch of Neanderthals, you know, wives submit to your husbands. And the idea I think a lot of people have is that if you're if you're going to be a person who really takes the Bible seriously, that means you're going to look at your your wife. If you're a guy and you look at her like, hey, little woman, you know, you come over here and you do what I tell you to do. Now, if that is what you think it means, let me just share with you some, ladies, before you get up and leave, let me share with you some good news. The good news is I think a lot of times what we think we know about the Bible is is, uh, a little surprising to discover that we don't know much about it. And then what we think something might mean doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means. And so today what we're doing is we're continuing our series on the great adventure. We're talking about the great adventure of marriage today. And we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul shares with us in the text that we're looking at about how to have marriages that really that are godly, how to have marriages that are strong. And, and, And what we're going to see is is some of the requirements that he gives us in Scripture concerning how to have a strong marriage. And so if you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look in verse number 22 in just a few moments. So Ephesians 5, verse number 22. If you have your Bible, uh, go to the middle and you can turn right and towards the end and you'll run into Ephesians. uh, Page 990 in my book. Uh, But Ephesians 5, verse number 22. And I'll give you a little background information. When Paul wrote this letter, he wrote this letter when he was in prison. And he was in prison for teaching about Jesus. But I just find it fascinating that here he is. He's in prison. And yet he found it, uh, found it necessary to write to the church in Ephesus about marriage relationships. So, obviously, this is a very important subject. I mean, here is a man who is in prison. And he says, while I'm in prison, I need to write to these people about relationships. And in Ephesians 5, he focuses upon The marriage relationship. And it's here that he shares with us some basic requirements necessary for a strong marriage. Now, now what are some of the basic requirements necessary for a strong marriage? And I'm not going to be sharing with you to with you about what Dr. Phil might think uh, about what Oprah says. We're going to look into the Bible to see what God's word has to say about marriage. And when I look into it, the first thing I see a necessary requirement for a strong marriage is, and we're just going to go ahead and get this one out of the way. Uh, it's important. Is, is submission? Submission is a necessary requirement for a strong marriage. Uh, verse twenty-two. Let's look at that. It says, "Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands." In everything. And I see, I know guys out there, you're pulling out your pen or you want to, and you're underlining that right there. Uh, Now, there's a verse that we don't have up on the screen that, that precedes this, I think is interesting as well. It's verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, obviously, the phrase that's going to grab your attention is where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, what does that word submit mean? Uh, it means, you know, I can tell you one thing it, it doesn't mean is it does not mean somebody beating you over the head. But the word submit does mean to yield yourself or put yourself under the control of another. And one thing I find interesting about that, about that meaning, is that it is not the husband who forces submission. Instead, it is the wife who gives it. And so in essence, what submission is, and we'll talk a little bit more about submission, but what it is, is submission is a gift that is given by the wife to her husband. I remember watching an episode on America's Funniest Videos a few years ago, by the way, one of the greatest shows on television of all time. Uh, but in the in the video, it had a couple that was, that was getting married and the pastor was reading the vows to the wife. The husband-to-be slipped in a little vow in there that he thought would be kind of funny. And so the pastor's reading the vow and he says, and you repeat it after me, he says, you will honor and obey your husband. When he said that, she did not repeat anything. You just see on the video, she's just staring at him. And she says, I don't think so. Now, everybody laughs and we think that's funny but what is interesting is if you look in the Bible, guys. Here's what it says: It says, "Wives submit to your husbands." There's a couple of ways we can deal with this. One, we can look at this and say this is an archaic scripture, uh, has nothing to do with today's life. Uh, you know, obviously, this was a, a Paul was a man who's a chauvinist. We can go through all that stuff, or we can say, you know what, we're just going to deal with it. It's in the Bible. Uh, we're told and uh, we're told in scripture that the, the, uh, the word of God is inspired by God. And so what we're going to do today is we're we're going to deal with what the scripture says, what scripture says, it says wives submit, his wives submit to your to your husbands. Now, the, f- the first thing we have to do when you read scriptures, you need to take scripture in context. What is the context in which Paul is writing? Paul is writing. And again, a test. Who is Paul writing to? Anybody he's right. He's to the Ephesian, to the Ephesian church. This text is written to Christians. And I think that's where the world really struggles with this. But Paul is talking to those of us who are followers of Jesus. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, especially you need to pay attention to this. So he's writing to believers. He says, guys, believers, women. You are to submit to your husbands now Again, this does not mean that the husband is superior to his wife. It does not mean that he is you know, to be the dominant figure who, you know, who, crushes his, who crushes his spouse. You don't see that anywhere else in Scripture. You need to take Scripture into all of its context. Uh, in Galatians 3.28, it says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all, what does it say? It says One. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that in the eyes of God that men and women are seen as equal? We are each responsible for our own lives, our own actions before God. The number one relationship that is to take place in marriage is the relationship that men and women have with God. The number one person that we are to submit to is to God. That's one thing I thought was interesting about the conference we had this past week. One thing he said, he said, it's not, it's not, and he said, no, I, he, he made the little disclaimer. He said that whenever I talk about, about people who are followers of, of uh, Jesus submitting to their spouses, I'm talking about somebody who is, you know, who is a husband who has a good heart, who has a good will. He's not talking about abusive situations or anything like that. He said, so whenever I talk about that and I talk about about submission, he said, I'm talking about a person who willingly submits themselves to their husband who has a good heart and a good relationship with God. Because the fact of the matter is there cannot be harmony in marriage where God is not first. And when you submit, ladies, it's not that you're submitting to your man, it's that you are submitting to God. You are doing everything as unto God. Now we're going to get to the guys in just a little bit. So back to the idea of submission. What's it all about? Well, the submission Paul's talking about is not a submission that a general has with the private or the private has with the general Uh, Wives, I want you to think this text means that you are like the private in the army and your husband is the general and he gets to order you around and tell you what to do. I read a story that I thought was very interesting. A man walked out of his house. He looked at a nearby mountain, and he saw two goats on the mountain. And they were on the same path, but he knew that the path wasn't wide enough for both of them to cross. And he said, whenever they were getting closer to each other, I started wondering, how are they going to deal with this? And so the two goats said, they came around the corner, and they saw each other. You know what they did when they saw each other? The path's not wide enough for both of them, so they start backing up. And he says, they set their hind legs. And he said, I thought, man, they are getting ready to butt heads right here. I mean, they're just going to go ramming right into each other. And they're going to knock one of going to get knocked off the mountain. Okay, I think this is a picture oftentimes of marriage. You know, we get married and we come around the corner. And then all of a sudden we see each other after marriage. And we're like, okay, what's going to give here? And so then you, you, you back up and it looks like there's going to be a fight. But he said, as he watched those two goats, he said the goat that was going up the mountain. He said what he did is he backed up and he got on his knees. And he said, and the other goat crawled over him and went down the mountain. The other one stood up and went up the mountain. Now, I, I thought about that. And I thought, you know, I think that is a good picture of submission. Now, some of you saying, well, he, it means he gets to walk all over me. Now, that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I think it's, it's interesting because whenever you talk about submission, it is the word submission actually carries with it the idea of two equals. And one of them deciding, making the voluntary step to submit themselves to another so that there can be peace and harmony. Now, for there to be harmony in the home, somebody has to lead. And God's word has called, whether you agree with it or not, God's word has called for a man to be the leader in the family. To be the one who leads and directs the family. I like the old saying, I'm sure you've heard it before, there's, there's uh, too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Have you all heard that before? I, I, think that, I think that's a very true thing. It can be very dangerous. I, I know, And it can be an aggravation when there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians. And I just think about driving. Uh, whenever I'm driving and I have somebody who's in the car, uh, somebody else, and not Emily, but you know, somebody else in the car, and, and they're telling me what I need to do as I'm driving. Now, as, And if you've ever experienced that, isn't that a joy? You know, you're going the wrong way. You need to come down here and turn right. And as you're going through, you're like, okay, listen, if you're going to keep talking, then you just get over here and drive or get out of the car. I mean, it just gets very frustrating. And so there's a lot of times there's too many chiefs. There's not enough Indians. And the only thing that happens when we have too many chiefs is it causes confusion it causes arguments. It causes aggravation. And I believe that is part of the, the idea here, idea here in, in submission is that there needs to be one who is to be leader. And I really believe one of the major tragedies that we see in the home today is that we do not see enough men who are standing up leading the family. Now, I'm not I'm not this isn't a message to bash men or anything like that. I'm just observing. And I think because we've gotten away from Scripture, and how's so "Well, how's the man supposed to lead, gentlemen? I believe is it is our responsibility to lead our families spiritually. It is our job to lead our families into the church. It is our job to, whenever we sit down at meals, to lead our families in prayer." I believe it should be a normal thing for our children to be able to have they have they happen upon you. And they should they should see you leading by you reading scripture. It should not be uncommon for your family to see you reading the Bible, to see you praying. Now, I have no doubt for there to be a healthy marriage. that there has to be submission. And with submission means that, gentlemen, that we have to be leaders now, one thing that came out that was interesting in the conference is there's there's the idea that if a if a woman submits to her husband, that's going to happen is he's going to walk all over her. And he used a military example. He said what what happens? And he said this is the, the general makeup of a man is that whenever a whenever someone whenever there's a, a commanding officer and his men are following him, he said that officer will serve his men like no other. And that officer will lead his men into battle and he will be willing to die for his men. And I said, that, that is, ladies, whenever there is submission and your husband is a godly man and that occurs, you will have a husband who will serve you like he never has before. So for a healthy marriage, there's submission. That's what scripture says. Now, y'all don't get mad at me. This is what the Bible says. But then the second requirement I see for a strong marriage is also love. And I think this is the one we like to focus on, but it's true as well. There's love is necessary for a strong marriage. Verse 25 says, husbands. I notice it's addressed to you guys. It says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. OK, Paul's day again, the context when people got married, you know how they how they got married. How they met with each other arranged marriages, mom and dad arranged marriages. Now, is that what we do Today. Uh, Emily's Emily's parents are here today, and they got together with my parents, and they arranged our marriage. Yeah, I'm totally kidding. That didn't happen because if it would have been left up to them, Emily'd probably be married to somebody else. But they did not. They did not arrange our marriage. Uh, you know, Emily and I, uh, we we met each other, we became friends, we fell in love with each other, and then we got married. Now, when Paul's talking about love and marriage, now love. I mean, it's not like love is a new concept. I mean, it's been around forever. But when he's talking about love in marriage, that was a strange idea. And it's a strange idea because marriages were arranged. And so Paul starts talking about loving your spouse. I'm not saying that they didn't ever grow to love their spouse. You can see that through Scripture. It did happen. But this is a, in a sense, this is really, this is kind of like a new teaching. Where Paul says that, that you are to love your spouse. Now, back in this day, marriages were arranged. Morality oftentimes was very loose. I mean, you would get married oftentimes just for economic reasons. You would get married in order to have children so that your children became like your social security system. And then Paul throws in this whole thing, starts talking about about love. And he says that the one who is to love and to love like Christ loves is, he says, it is the husband. Husbands, we are to lead. And we are to lead in being men of love. Now, husbands, do you desire a fulfilling marriage? Verse 25 says, if you do, he says, then you need to love your spouse like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? It says he loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her. Now, Paul elevates marriage on this real high pedestal. He compares he compares the husband and wife relationship to the relationship that Jesus has with the church. And he says, "Guys, for your marriage to be strong and healthy, he said your love needs to be the kind of love that Christ had for the church." What kind of love did Christ have for the church? In our text, that word love is it's it's a word the Greek word agape. It means a divine, supernatural love. In other words, guys, we on our we cannot naturally love this way. Why, it's supernatural. And so again, this text, who is this text written to? It's written to Christians. It's for believers. Gentlemen, it's for those of you who are followers of Jesus. Jesus can enable you. He can give you the ability to love your wife supernaturally. If you love your wife like Christ loved the church, that means you will love her sacrificially. Christ gave himself up for the church, so the husband in love is to give himself up for the wife. Hey guys, if we're submitted to Christ, if we give him control of our lives, we will love our wife sacrificially. That means we'll be willing to give some things up so that she will know that we love her. Now, I'm not talking about that you, you, know, that everything you, have to, that you give up everything and that you, don't, you know, that you don't ever get to do anything for yourself. That's what I'm talking about. But there are times whenever your wife needs to know that you love her. And the conference we had, that was, he said, you know, men, it's it's not in a man's nature to love like this. It is in our nature to be protectors, to be providers. That's why he said that, that Paul right here mentions a command that we are to love to help guys go. Hey, I know you want to protect and you want to provide. He said, I understand, you got to love too. If you're in a healthy marriage, your wife, that's 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 uh, yeah, that's her. That's how she breathes. You got to let her know that you love her. I started thinking about that and I began to realize that a part of that is, is just simply communicating with our spouses, talking to them. And it's so easy to go through the day. Uh, for us we, we wake up in the morning, we, we go to work, we come home, we sit on the you know, we sit on the couch or recliner, we eat, and then we pass out and fall asleep. And and, and we we get up, we repeat the process over and over again. Before long, you know, you begin to realize it's been a while since I've actually talked to my spouse. And you say, well, you know, I've got a good excuses. You know, I'm, I'm hard to tell you because when you go to work, I, I go to work and I, people are yapping in my ear all day, driving me crazy, got all these responsibilities. When I got to go home, I just want to be able to relax. I want everybody to leave me alone there. And people ought to understand that. Now, I agree there are good excuses that we're going through. But if we're going to love like Christ loves, there are times we have to Sacrifice. When Jesus was hanging, you know, Christ loves the church like this. He, he gave his time even for the church. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, you remember the two thieves on each side of him. One of them wanted to talk to Jesus. How did Jesus respond? Did Jesus? This guy's wanting to know about heaven. Did Jesus, like and say, listen? I am tired. I am. I am. I am serious. I am hanging on a cross, and you want me to talk to you? Now, did, did Jesus do that? No. I find it interesting that Jesus, even in this time of where he's being a sacrifice for all people, he was willing to sacrifice his time to talk to this man, to point this man to God. And then the least we can do is sacrifice some of our time. You know, maybe sacrifice every once in a while that game of the week. To talk and relate and to share with your spouse. To sacrifice for her. I believe that sacrifice involves leading them spiritually, bringing them into the church where they can sit under teaching so that they can learn what the word of God says along with you. And so the question for you and for me is, are we loving our wives like that? Guys, are we loving our wives sacrificially? Are we loving them in such a way that we are moving them to grow in their relationship with Jesus? I look at our text, I see some requirements for strong marriage. See, first of all, there's submission that's involved. Guys, for us, it's love. And the, the last thing I see as a requirement for strong marriage is there has to be unity in that marriage. And I just want to read to you our last two verses. It says, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. If we are submitted to each other, guys, we will live for each other. And it's not that we are living just for each other. It's that we are living for each other as though we are living unto Christ. Verse 30 says that we are one with Christ. When you come together in marriage, you become, you become one flesh, right? Have you all heard that before? Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man separate. He said, you become one flesh. The whole idea of one flesh, that comes from the story of Adam and Eve. Remember that story back in the book of Genesis? Adam and Eve? Where did Eve come from? Anybody know? She came from Blythewood. Now, where'd she come from? Yeah, where'd she come from? She came from Adam. You remember what part of the body? Adam's rib. Um, there's a little story there that uh, God was telling about having this perfect wife. He said, "But Adam's going to cost you an arm and a leg." Adam said, "What can you get me for a rib?" So funny. Ha ha. Uh, anyway, that's not. I that's not my notes. That's. Uh, That's one of those great things that you think of and you say and you say, why did I say that? But anyway, it comes from it comes from the story of Adam and Eve. We are one flesh in Genesis two, twenty one and twenty two says the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Now, the husband and wife, when we get married, we become one flesh. Now, obviously, the wife does not come from man's rib any longer. But when you get married, I mean, you, you understand this concept. You get married, you begin to share life together. You share a household together. You have children together. I've heard people say the longer you live together, the more that you look like your spouse. You ever heard that? There's some of y'all ladies. Whew, man, that's going to be scary. Uh, but but, you, know, but now you become one flesh. Now, if you become one flesh... And if you take this, well, this is what Scripture says: you become one flesh. That means that you belong to each other, right? She, she, and he is a part of you. You know, every time uh, during this year when the weather starts changing, I get my allergies get terrible. You know, I am, I, I can blame some of this message today. I'm, I'm loaded up on Benadryl right now, and uh, my, you know, my eyes get real itchy. My nose runs. You just, it's, it's terrible. Just having allergies, and when I, get, when they get really bad. One thing I want to do is I just you know you feel like if you just give me a sword or an axe and I could just cut off because I feel fine from here down if I could cut off my head you know then my allergy that'd be great now that sounds like a good sleep if I did cut off my head I would not have allergies anymore Uh, but there's a problem with that I would have also cured breathing and but the idea same I think is true with marriage I think what happens in marriage a lot of times is eventually we run into difficulties in marriage. And we begin to have communication problems and we begin to have problems about who's going to be in charge and and we begin to fuss and to fight with each other. But instead of trying to work through the problems, instead of looking to handle these things biblically, what we do is we, we pull out a big old axe and we take it to our marriage. And we begin to bludgeon the marriage. Now you might say, well, I cured that problem. You know we don't have communication problems anymore. Yeah, you might have cured the problem, but your marriage is destroyed. And not only have you destroyed your marriage, but if you're one flesh, and you pound out on your your husband or your wife, but you're one flesh, what does that do to you? I mean, it destroys you. Now, what needs to happen? Happen, husbands. We we need to look at our wives and understand that our wives are a part of us. Therefore, you're going to do whatever it is in your power under the grace and leadership of God to take care of her and provide for her and love her because she is a part of you. And as you serve her, it is as though you are doing it unto Jesus. Not to her, to Jesus. Women, you need to look at your husbands and understand he is a part of you. Therefore, you're going to do whatever you can to serve him and to love him and to take care of him physically and spiritually. Why? Because he is a part of you. And it's not that you're doing it for him. You are doing it as unto Jesus. Remember, the the marriage relationship is a picture of Christ and his love for the church. Now, the Bible is very relevant for us. And it gives us some strong requirements for a strong marriage. Submission, love, and unity. The question is, as we close, have you taken those steps to help your marriage be a godly marriage? And some of you might say, you know what, I I have not. My my challenge for you is just simply to where you are to pray. And you might even grab the, the, the hand of your wife or your husband and just pray with them and say, let us pray that God will bring healing in our marriage. I have, I have wronged you, and I'm sorry. Now, one thing that came from the conference I thought was great. He said, you might be, your spouse might be 80% wrong. You just might be 20% wrong. He said, who's the one who's to make the move? He said, the one who's to make the move for reconciliation is the mature one. The mature one. Make that move. Grab that hand. So let's, let's pray. Let's ask for God. God. To heal our marriage. Others of you say, you know what, I'd like to love my wife supernaturally. But you know, you can't love her that way unless you have a relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to encourage you in just a few moments to pray. And say, Lord, I give you my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And I need your forgiveness. And you need to do that. Let's take this time. Let's bow our heads. Husbands and wives, if you're near each other, you might just simply need to pray, each other, pray with each other. You might need to seek forgiveness. You might just simply need to say, hey, let's just pray that God will continue to bless our marriage. And I want to, I want to encourage you to do that as, as we have this time of prayer. Others of you need to pray this prayer and just simply say, Jesus, I want you in my life. And I ask for your forgiveness. And I pray that you will save me and renew me in you. And I pray these things.